Hi, everyone, and welcome to our third episode for the year of At Dairy Talks podcast. I am delighted and honored to have with me Ian Usiri, who is the co-founder of Ramani. Ramani is a distribution business based in Tanzania, but he's going to tell us so much more about this. Um, Ian, over to you. Good morning. How are you? Hey, hey, good morning, Jerry. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. And this is the second time that we're meeting. It's not It's not the first time. I interviewed you at the EABCA conference in Tanzania last year, and I thought that you had such insightful things to say that I really wanted you to talk to us again and talk to our audience because um, it wasn't recorded at that time. And I wanted to say, first of all, how did you come up with um, Ramani as a business? Why, why a distribution business? Uh, and how's it going? And I, I know it's going great. So you can tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I um, maybe taking a step back. I definitely remember our uh, first uh, interview, and it was a real pleasure uh, to have that conversation with you. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me back. No worries. Uh, to speak with you and uh, speak to your audience. Um, yeah, let me talk a little bit about Ramani and how we sort of ended up here. So, for a little bit of context, um, we are not quite distributors ourselves. Okay. Although we used to be. So actually, we started our journey as distributors of fast-moving consumer goods, uh, kind of like uh, Twiga in uh, in Kenya or Wasoko, which might be startups that um, uh, some of your customers are more familiar with. Um, and um, this was back in uh, uh, 2020. And we actually got into um, Y Combinator uh, as these distributors of fast-moving uh, consumer goods. But as we grew that business, we discovered a much more urgent need to provide um, uh, software as well as financial services for customers that were just like us. For those very distributors that we were competing with, we said, you know what? Uh, we understand their problems. They're going to become our customers. And so what are we building today? Uh, we're building a cloud network of third-party micro-distribution centers for you know the trillion-dollar um, FMCG supply chain in Africa. Um, we built software, point-of-sale uh, software, inventory management software, procurement software um, uh, that we use to digitize these micro-distributors. Um, and then we partner with brands um, that supply these distributors, like, for example, Coca-Cola is one of our customers here in, uh, in Tanzania. And then we can now provide inventory financing um, to those distributors um, in order to help them grow. And that's actually how we uh, decided to monetize. Um, Ian, you've said a lot in that one sentence. Let's talk about point-of-sale distributorship and your interaction with um, a business from the point of, of, the, uh, of your first interaction with them. What does that look like and what does it mean for them? What can you offer them? Well, um, our first value proposition is, is our software. Okay. And so that's where we start. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the current operating system for Africa supply chains is pen and paper. So our customers, these third-party distributors, they find it very, very difficult to track who their customers are, how much they sell to each customer, what's the product mix that you sell to each customer. And their customers are small monkey shops, right? Um, uh, you guys call them, I think, Mamamboga. Yeah, Mamamboga shops, yeah. Right. So those are the customers of our customers. Okay. And so we give them point-of-sale software that allows them to track who those customers are. And when their salespeople go out to market to sell to those customers, they register the sale, they register the, the mix of products that those customers bought. And we also get GPS location, uh, GPS data and um, uh, time of, of sale data and value of, of the basket of goods that's sold, et cetera. So the first is just that point of sale CRM. 
Okay. All right. It's actually the thing. Right. Um, the next is inventory management. Okay. Just allowing them to know how much stuff do I have in storage? When did it arrive? How quickly is it leaving? And, um, and sort of, and if they take products out to market and they're not sold and bringing them back into storage, just tracking those inflows and outflows. Um, uh, so that's our sort of our second product. And then our third is procurement. So, okay, I've sold, I ordered the thousand and no crates of cook. I've sold 900. I want to order, you know, 900 more Then you'd hop onto our platform again and then place that, that order up to Coca-Cola. Um, and that's actually where the, 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 um, the financing comes. So you place that order through our platform. Um, it automates, um, um, uh, uh, going to Coca-Cola, but also going to our credit team. Okay. If you're approved for financing. And then that's where our credit team can approve that order and our finance team can actually pay for that order. So it's all automated upstream through our procurement platform. So these are the yeah. And so the financing is backed by the inventory or the inventory purchase. 100%. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think what you're doing is enabling scale for the mom and bloggers. You're giving them financing. You're giving them the ability to control the inventory that they have and also to be, you know, direct, indirect um, connect with, uh, you know, Coca-Cola and businesses like that. Correct? Exactly. Wow. I mean, how did you come up with the idea? I know um, Ramani is not your first business. Um, how did you come up with this idea? What What did you identify in the market that you thought this is going to work um, large scale? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's been definitely been a journey trying to figure out what's the right um product um uh to to, to release, especially one that's both in, in demand that people want, but also that people have a uh, high enough willingness to pay. To the to you know to cover the you know just the cost of distribution distribution yeah. costs enough are just re, are just really high for any 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 company. Um, so it took us a journey to figure out okay what's the right customer need, um, uh, for us and what's the pain point and then what's the um and can we develop a distribution um method, um uh, uh to efficiently basically deliver it to customers. So it took us yeah maybe a year and a half two years and so we were distributors first and then we actually just selling pure software and then we started integrating the software plus the credit platform and that i think was the was the um was the value proposition uh that sort of unlocked a lot of the demand um uh here in Tanzania, and we're actually even launched in kenya uh and we saw the growth there okay. um and so it, it it was a journey for sure how we came up with the idea i actually did it come up with the idea uh maybe it's a lesson for entrepreneurs um, I've learned a lot, uh, by the way, in terms of how to find the right uh, problem to solve. A customer came came to us and said, this is my problem. Can you solve this? And it just really piqued our interest. And so we went deeper. It's like, why is this a problem? And we came to find that it was systemic. Um, uh, of course, we had experienced it as distributors ourselves. But um, uh, I think we didn't really, we didn't have the right language to couch the problem of lack of access to financial services. Yeah. And we didn't know how pervasive it was until actually was a brand that came to us and said, Hey, this is actually something that's not just impacting my, my distributors. It's actually impacted me. And once we understood the systemic impact of that lack of access to financial services, then it became clear that that's, that's really where we were. Yeah. I mean, I think that you, I mean, you've been extremely success successful in November. You guys raised $32 million for your series A round. I mean, that is unheard of, numbers that are unheard of in this market. Um, what is your plan for expansion? What are you going to do with that $32 million, Ian? 
Yeah. Yeah. We're doubling, we're doubling down in uh, Tanzania. First of all, we're, uh, it's an incredible privilege, uh, to be able to raise that kind of capital in Tanzania and to, and to meet investors, especially ones that weren't as familiar with the Tanzanian market initially, um, uh, meet investors that can develop that sort of conviction. Um, and the 32 million is a combination of equity and debt yeah. capital yeah. for money. And so our plan is to double down in Tanzania, continue to sign new customers. We're scaling with customers like Coca-Cola. Um, we're scaling with customers who just signed down. Uh, so I get to Bruce. Just, yeah. Oh, wow. Good. We'll continue to double down there. Good. Yeah. So we're, um, uh, we're 100% uh, committed, uh, to Tanzania. So, um, Tanzania has a really great macroeconomic, um, environment and, 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 pri- and properties that, um, uh, sort of have given us conviction. That this is the right country to invest in. Uh, really great um, in terms of Tanzanian shilling to dollar um, exchange rate stability. Uh, very good. Um, more dollar liquidity than other countries in East Africa, including Kenya. I'm sure you're here. Sort of yeah, that that we're definitely having that challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a real, yeah, it is a real challenge. Um, uh, we also have some liquidity. Um, uh, I mean, everybody right now with the interest rates in the U.S. going up. Yeah. Definitely there's some liquidity. Crunch in Tanzania, but uh, it's, it's probably one of the better places to be because of the gold exports and et cetera stuff, but access to uh, GSD. Um, and so we're doubling down uh, on Tanzania and we're continuing to scale. And um, we, we we think that we can reach our Series B milestones at least um, just focusing on this uh, on this market. So, yeah. So, so you've decided Tanzania. Um, is it not an, an East Africa strategy or is not an Africa strategy anymore? Uh, what's happening to the Nairobi office? Um, so I, I think, I think has, Romani can become a unicorn, which for the, uh, uh, for members of your audience that maybe might not be familiar with that sort of tech terminology, basically it's a business that's worth a billion, a billion dollars. Uh, that's incredibly rare. So the, you know, the, the euphemism for that sort of is, is a unicorn. Yeah. So we think Romani can become a unicorn, um, uh, in Vista. So Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda. Um, and if we just capture, we think there's a billion dollar revenue opportunity alone. Um, and that's just whole size of the market across those three countries. So if you capture 10% of that, which isn't that much, actually, um, you know, there we think you can put on at a 10 X multiple. Um, and so we're just focusing on, uh, first being successful in Tanzania. And once we have our bearings and that'll be the series B, yeah. then we can raise more scale capital to go to Kenya, Uganda. But there's actually a lot of applicability um, of our of our technology, um, not just across Africa, but across a lot of emerging markets. Yeah, we've seen similar um, uh, value propositions as far as trying to give a similar value proposition in Indonesia, for example, in India. Um, and so, you know, scaling into Southeast Asia um, is a possibility. Uh, well, if you know, if you know, we could continue to do well over the next five to ten years. And so, it's not just an Africa an, an Africa opportunity. Um, you know, it's any, any place that has fragmented supply chains yeah. with a lack of data visibility and, 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 and limited access to financial services, Romani can come in. Have I mean, I, I really like that because it, it means that you're just not looking at, you know, what is just around me. You're, look, you're looking globally. And I mean, that is a, a testament to your thinking as well. Um, and also the faith that you have in the ability of your, uh, your product uh, to, to be leveraged across the world. So that's great. Um, I want to focus on on you as a person because I think sometimes we're not we're looking at the business and looking not looking at the people behind that business. Um, certainly, this is not your first business. Verbatim was first. Uh, explain what Verbatim did uh, and why perhaps it didn't work. 
Right. Um, this is why I love talking to you, Jerry. You do your homework. Um, uh, so yes, verbatim was my, my first business and, um, uh, it was an incredible privilege. So, um, maybe I'm taking a step back. I always actually wanted to do a startup. And so, uh, even from high school, I know I wanted to start a business. How did you know that, Ian? How did you know that? You know, I, you know, I think there's just some people that, um, uh, uh, from an early age, you know, there's. They're just sort of missions that um call to you and for me it was all about impact. Okay. And impact to my community. Um and I just felt that, you know, from an early age, people that build businesses that um employ, um, that solve social problems. Yeah. Are, uh I felt like that was the best way to give back. Mm -hmm. And I still do. Mm -hmm. So what I'm most proud of, um, with uh with Romani, you know, of course the problems that we're solving for our customers, but just in fact that we're creating jobs, you know, for you. And we're, we're giving people a space to self-actualize what I'm most proud of. So I knew I wanted to start a business very early on. And so that's actually why I chose to go to Stanford. So I, you know, I have different options and I just felt that Stanford was the best place to get a great education. Can, can I say, can I segue on that? Because I think you had the option of all, um, all of the Ivy League universities, um, in America and you chose Stanford. Clearly you were already on the path to success, you know, just having that. Uh, but you chose Stanford and, and you say because you, you knew that that was where the impact was going to be. And and then it led you to verbatim. How how did um, Stanford, verbatim and, you know, the impact that you wanted to have merge together to where you are? Yeah. Thank you uh, for saying that. Uh, definitely due to your homework. Uh, not, <laughs> maybe not all the Ivy League schools, other people will do their work. But, uh, <laughs> you know, a handful of Ivy League schools and Stanford as well. And um, I chose Stanford because I felt that they had a good history of people being academically successful and also building businesses. Okay. So I was a hundred percent set on building a business, um, Stanford, and I was looking for different ideas. And uh, I got lucky enough to meet three other people, um, uh, Aishwarya, Alex, and Sierra, who are brilliant engineers, designers, and also just thinkers in terms of products and problems in society. And our first business um, at, at Stanford Verbatim was all about empowering citizen journalists. Wow. And okay. And even tell their stories. Mm -hmm. So to 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 try to sort of use technology and 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 to and to simplify story uh, storytelling, so that citizen journalists um, uh, could have a platform sort of in the same vein as sort of CNN. Um, that evolved a lot on the citizen journalism. It was really difficult, but what we found was we had built these uh, really great storytelling tools um, that we felt were, uh, that became applicable. We felt to um, any kind of storytelling as it became more of like a blog. Okay. Interestingly enough, a lot of the innovations that we uh, uh, did on the product side are now coming to fruition. You know, through um, we're seeing reels, um, on TikTok, Instagram, yeah, TikTok, yeah, I, you know, I'm learning a lot in terms of, uh, you know, what we were missing really was go to market. Um, was how we okay, you built great technology, but how do you launch these things? So those are the things I started to learn. Uh, but yeah, so that was my first business verbatim. We we raised a little bit of money as well and. Built a team, raised some venture capital, you know, uh, you know, you know, did the whole thing, built a product, released it. So I had already gone through, I already had sort of the muscle memory of how to build a business, build a team and launch. Yeah. Uh, and raise a little bit of capital as well. Mm -hmm. My first couple. With, with verbatim and even with Ramani, how do you know when something is working? Is there like a time period? Is it a feeling? What What do you get from this is somewhat something that can really scale? Yeah. Um. That's a, that's something that I did not have, uh, I did not learn with Verbatim. So I had to learn that with Ramat. What mm -hmm. is, what is a good product you like when you interact with customers and, um, and, 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 um, 
it's sort of difficult to describe. So you sort of have to, you know, you kind of have to do it and see that look in your customer's eyes when, um, uh, uh, uh when you show them the product or you do a demo, uh, but a lot of it is urgency. You know, you just see a lot of urgency from the side of the customers. Once you give them a real demo, once you describe exactly what you're solving and when they're like, okay, you know, I want this now, or, um, you know, I want to try this out, sign me up. Right. That's really when you could tell, okay, there's something here because the customers want to move with urgency because the problem that you're describing is, um, or your problem you're solving is like, something that they, but also the, the, the agency is different in different markets, right? So it, you could have stayed in the States and, you know, decided that the agency is something like a verbatim or something that is, you know, a first world problem as it were, but you've decided to come back to Tanzania, your Tanzanian. And so you knew that the impact that you want to to make is in Africa, correct? One hundred percent. What what is that about? Um, <laughs> is that a difficult question? It's a good question. I think it's you know, um, you know, there's no deep inside. I just I guess uh, uh, you know I love my country, but knows knows I guess you know as a deep patriotism. Um, and I guess I felt wherever I went in the world, um, I could put whatever, I could put on stamp badge I wanted, Stanford, Salesforce, et cetera, but mm -hmm. you can't escape that you're at city and then you can't escape that, you know, that you're, that, that you're African. I'm not saying that you, you should want to. And so, uh, it's just clear to me that the, the, the health of my country, the strength of my country, um, uh, is something that's inextricable from me. And I just want to be part of that, um, uh, transformation. I think we are going through an era of transformation. Um, uh, you know, I say I was born in a, in a poor country. It's just the truth. I don't want to die in a, in a poor country, you know? And so I've, you know, I want to be part of that, um, uh, economic growth. And I do believe, especially living here, that a lot is possible. I think a lot of tough decisions still need to be made, but a lot is possible. I mean, I, I mean, I agree with you. The same thing. I, I mean, I could have stayed in England if I wanted to, but it, the, the, you know, I decided to come back and practice in this country. So I understand that. Um, also, I, I what I understood from you when I was doing the research about you is that concept of intellectual humility, and I love that concept so much, Ian. You, you don't even know because I use it now. Um, what does it mean to everyone who is um, listening? Um, I think in my journey, you know, you know, what I came to learn is, um, you know, it's okay to concede to yourself that, you know, you don't know everything, um, and actually could be, you know, position of strength, um, to, you know, you know, uh, to, to set aside what, you know, which, 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 which you think you believe, yeah. uh, and just be more open to, um, uh, uh, to learn it. I think, um, Satya Nadella summarized it really well. He's, you know, he challenged people at Microsoft to go from a know-it-all attitude to a learn-it-all attitude. Yeah. Um, and in, and I felt um, that's one of the things that I had to, one of the you know, tra transformations that I had to do in terms of character transformations over the last three, four years to just, you know, focus on learn-it-all um, attitude. And, um, and I think that's probably one of the big reasons why we've been able to achieve what we've achieved, which has been very difficult. Uh, very very difficult, but, um, you know, uh, having a learn it all mindset, um, I think put us in a position to be successful. Yeah. 
And so, f- so from that perspective, when you're looking at verbatim and you're looking at Romani and even the evolution of Romani and what you've, you've now bec- become, how do you equate that intellectual humility with the bravery and courage to change tack and change tack in, in, in a market that, you know, you, you, is new to you? Because, you know, you, you don't necessarily, you didn't necessarily understand the Tanzanian market when you first um, came to Tanzania or came back to Tanzania. Yeah, so 2020, uh, came, came back 2019, actually. 2019, right. Okay. Yeah, is when I came back. We got into Y Combinator in 2020. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a journey. Um, and, uh, we didn't really know what to do, but we also have preconceived notions of, um, what should, uh, that happen, how self-processes should go, how people should value, um, uh, certain problems, especially coming from the West, right? Digitization is really important. Um, data is really important, et cetera. Um, and it just, you know, took a bit of uh, a while for us to, you know, to realize you know what, let's, let's, let's eschew sort of the, the, uh, um, preconceived notions that we had and, um, let's start from, from, um, from square one and let's just have a learn it all, um, mindset. And, you know, I know people are gonna, we're gonna say Ian went on, uh, and Jerry talks and talked about how humble he is <laughs> and, uh, let me take a, you know, take a step back and not try to say, um, I'm, you know, you know, some super humble guy or like that, but I do strive to question my preconceived opinions to question my assumptions and i have found that it has been helpful uh for me um i you know i think my I, I um i wish there were people before and after pictures of your character yeah you know there are all these before and after pictures you know body goals etc and that's great <laughs> but uh, my character has really transformed so much over the last three years uh, you know, hard to see, but I guess maybe the fruits of our of our labor and of that of that of that internal work oh, yeah. are you know our money and what we've been able to achieve. But then I think for you, because you're so young and also you've been given such responsibility, uh, such responsibility which comes with financial burdens as well. You know, you have to make good the thirty two million. Um, how do you first of all, what kind of leadership style are you adopting for your business, and also how do you how do you become the leader that you want to? you know, you want to see or, or, or be emulated for kind of, because you know, that has to be, that has to start at a young age, right? Um, I, it's interesting. I think I'm still evolving so much as a leader and, and, and the question of leadership is actually a really, really important, uh, to me. So I'm, I'm thankful that, um, that you brought it up. Um, and what I consistently, what I've come to find is, you know, the, the company needs a different type of, of CEO, a different type of PN. Um, as it evolves, um, and as it goes through different stages, um, uh, before you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, the, the points of the company where we were growing 68% each month. Wow. Right. And that wow. continuous, you know, a continuous year and last year's a little slower than that. But if your business is doubling in size every two months, yeah. right. Uh, you know, you know, a company of, you know, you know, that's, uh, that's doing $500,000 in revenue and a couple of million dollars revenue are different million to two million are different. So I found that I had to keep changing. Um, uh, I had to change rapidly as, as the business was, was, was growing. Yeah. Um, my most instinctive leadership style is to lead from the front. I'm a person that, uh, I'm not as much of a talker to be, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a doer and my background is in engineering. And so often it was, I'm going to do the first say, right? I'm going to do the first customer on board. Yeah. And, and I'm taking my team with me and I'm leading from the front and I'm setting that example. 
that was um uh so that's sort of the most instinctive uh leadership style that, that comes to me i'm i'm um i'm a leader also that uh that's uh if you come into a room and sometimes it makes people uh, come into a room uh and you see me and my team you actually don't really know who the who the boss is um you know there's no big chair you know we you know we're all really uh in it together and we're try- trying to try to create sort of an idea meritocracy yeah to come to ramani i don't have a, a big office i mean this culture is maybe common in tech but less common in other um areas and so you know I have my table, and so I, I feel like, um, uh, you know, I'm, I I try to be a leader that's in the in the in the trenches. Um, I try to build relationships with the people I work with. Um, and a lot of it, you know, one is I really love people, uh, and I really care about how people see yeah. the world, and uh, and so I just ask a lot of questions, and uh, uh, so that's so one is just, I just really enjoy that. But I think the other in terms of um, leadership is um, I care very deeply about information flow. And having high quality um, information um, yeah. on the ground, and the people that are working with customers and actually implementing a lot of the strategies that we come up with are the ones with the highest quality information. So, um, you know, you'll see me, you know, eating dinner with people. You see me having coffees and one on ones with with my teammates because I rely on them deep um, in uh, in order to sort of build, build reliance. So that's sort of those sort of the some of the tricks that 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 I have. I don't know if they're the best traits. But those are the things that are most instinctive. Yeah, I mean, there there are no best. I think everyone is is learning as as they go along, and obviously there are some things that are also generational. And so even the way that we approach, or we or me, let, let's say, because I think I'm a different generation from you, um, I approach things is different from how you would approach things, and I think that's the the, the best thing about being able to evolve um, as time goes along. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you is if you are continuously developing or evolving in Ramani and uh, identifying where the urgent pinpoints are, how do you then motivate your team to come along with you on this journey and believe in what you want um, to achieve? Um, aside from now, the investors that you have, you, you must have a, t- you have a team and therefore you have to convince them first to come along on your journey with you. How do you do that? Yeah, um, I think that's where my, my first company, my experience, my first company with Verbatim, uh, really comes to the fore because I had to learn to motivate a team of three other people. Uh, when we didn't have money, we were just students um, for an abstract idea like you know, citizen journalism. And so I learned um, what it takes to lead a team through pivots. I think first is um, giving them the right context, right? Having people understand that what you're going through, you know, this is an, where a company has innovated or innovating our business model and we're innovating our our technology. So joining Ramani is, is, is joining a journey. And that journey is what should motivate you. And what's the objective of that journey for us? It's transitioning Africa's supply chains from pen and paper to the cloud. Miles wow. we're all motivated by that. It's like, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we monetize that? What's the right technology? And and all those vicissitudes of that journey, people are ready for that because they know they're part of this bigger mission, this um, which is transition these supply chains off pen and paper to the cloud. And so as long as you, 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 I felt like you give people the right context, the next thing is, um, uh, especially in the beginning when you really don't have growth, keep the team small so that you can easily motivate those people. And so we were pretty small, we're up to seven people before we really, everything started clicking. But now we're, we're, we're 80. 80, wow. Yeah, 80. And, and, we, and we grew that over a year, a, a year and a, and a half. Oh, well, not two years. Um, and... 
the next thing they started giving people conviction was super simple was growth. So it's like, hey, would you like to join Romani? We're growing sixty-eight percent month over month. Like, okay, no, okay. Two months later, hey, we're twice as big as we were last. You know, uh, you know, when you first met us two months ago, would you like to join? Yeah. And and, and hearing that, uh, hearing the problem that we were solving and and seeing our growth, people just uh, um that gave people conviction to join this. So yeah, uh, initially. What what is the what is the most difficult aspect of of the job as you see it now? Yeah, I think Ramani's is very very multifaceted, and I think um, uh, it's definitely a, a business that reflects its founders in that it's that is complicated. It's incredibly complicated, as so many you know um, uh, uh, different moving parts. Um, and maybe that's what makes it interesting uh, interesting uh, to us. Interesting us excited about doing the business but actually balancing all those different parts has been a challenge yeah um uh and it's it's really challenged by organizational side i think i'm more about you know uh uh i think that's probably one of my bigger weaknesses actually you know being you know highly organized and so having to build the infrastructure around me be able to track all the different moving parts um uh it, it is, is is what's been difficult however mm-hmm. we do have product market fit 100 we have a product a service that people want and when you have that you know you know essentially you know Romani essentially sells itself really what we're, we do now is just tweak pricing um and so when we have that everything else kind of should settle should should solve itself uh but we do have a product product market fit Jeez, um you've talked before about chesterton's defense fallacy which i can never say properly but in any case you understand what i mean uh chesterton's fence fallacy what what does it mean and how does it um how does that fallacy work within the model of what you're striving to build for a money? Yeah. Um, uh, Chester, so I think I have a hard time saying Chesterton's fence fallacy. fallacy. And, yeah. And basically it's a bit of, you know, it's a thought, of, thought experiment. So imagine you're, you're walking down, uh, down a road and, um, and, um, and you approach a fence, a fence that's sort of built across the road. For us, you know, in, in Africa, I think of, of a fence maybe as a big wall, but this case, because it sort of was a movable fence, maybe that, you know, you know, from a horse paddock, except from a horse paddock or something like that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, you know, you know, that, 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 that proverb or the advice is that if you see a fence that's built across the road, uh, before you move that fence, because you could naively think, hmm, this is a road to pass through, why is there a fence across here? You should ask why that fence is there. Um, you should know why that fence is there before you remove it. Um, because it, it could be there for, for a good reason or it could be there for a dumb reason, so you should remove it. You should have a context of why it's there before um, uh, 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 before you move it. And actually, that's become incredibly, uh, or it was one of the, you know, in terms of my, my growth, it's one of the key points for me because um, what I started, the question I started asking is, okay, the market behaves like this. Why? Banks don't lend Tanzanian or African banks, actually. You know, there's a $360 billion financing gap for SMBs in Africa, that's according to the World Banks. So African banks don't lend to small to medium-sized businesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Why is that? Right. Yeah. That's the fence. Right. Um. Uh, are Are they bad people? You know. No. Do they not know that there's potential money to be to be made? Of course they do. So why is it that they don't lend to these small to medium-sized businesses? There's an intrinsic mechanical reason. And before we, you know, you start doing that, you know. Ramani or you know anybody else was owns that into that space. Yeah, you should deeply understand why the world is what it is, why it is the way it is, why is that fence there, 
Um, and then from that, um, perhaps it's a bad reason, um, made it change. And wow. we found it's, it's, it's the manual underwriting that banks do. You know, you're flipping through someone's tax clearance, you're flipping through someone's, um, uh, you know, literal physical lease for their land as your collateral. Those are the things that increase the cost of serving customers and underwriting customers. And so, uh, if you can digitize that, you significantly reduce the cost. And so now you, 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 you make it economically viable to stop serving SMBs. So that's our Chesterton's, Chesterton's fence. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Amazing. I mean, th those are such good learnings and even that concept, I didn't even, I didn't even know about it before, um, I did research on you. So even that kudos to that, to inform us about that. Um, the other thing I wanted to understand is because you have been so, or seemingly so regimented in, for example, your approach to, um, schooling, deciding on where you're going to go to school, starting your own business, starting more money, being an impactful, um, you know, company. Have you had fun in this journey? Because you're relatively young, again, um, you know, life is long. So are you having fun? Uh, I, I love what I do. Uh, it's incredibly fun. It's incredibly challenging uh, at the same time. But I think um, I've developed a love for learning, a love for growth. And so I like it developed a love for learning developed. <laughs> it's, it's a simple uh, way of saying it. It's been a painful lesson. Required. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. um, uh, I developed in university, um, but um, I, I love what I do. Um, and, uh, and I love the impact that we have. And I do, I do get to have fun, uh, especially when we, when, when we win it. And uh, we've had, um, uh, we've had, you know, a few losses for sure, but we've had some great wins over the past three years. So um, it's been a fun journey. Thank you for asking. And so are you looking to do another pivot, another shift? Is there something new coming? Are you looking for another startup? Where are we going, um, Ian, in the next five years? Yeah, yeah we're going to IPO. Okay. We're going to IPO. So you're going to, you know, you're going to see us on, uh, well, hopefully you see us on the NASDAQ arguing the bell. So um, I would be uh, so, I would be so proud of you. I will be so proud. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be, uh, uh, yeah, it would be incredible. I mean, it's still a dream. We are, we are currently living in you, but, uh, I'm 100%. Entire team is 100% focused on realizing uh, the the potential of Armani, and um, and we need a few. We need more African startups um, turning that story into you know a real profitable business that's you know recognized and respected around the world. And I I hope Armani is one of those startups. I hope there are many more. Um, have confidence. Actually, there'll be many more across the continent. Yeah. Um, I hope we're part of. We're part of that um, part of that group. I really hope so too. So as we finish off, thank you so much for your time, Ian. I really appreciate it because I know that in six months' time, I wouldn't even be able to get hold of you on the phone, uh, let alone on a podcast for forty-five minutes. Um, I want to do a quick quick fire round so that anybody can get to everybody can get to know you a bit better. Um, this is a quick fire, no thinking, no no, uh, you know, is it adapting to and <laughs> learning? Not, not nothing necessary. Um, just answer these with six questions very quickly. Okay. Beach holiday, city holiday. Beach holiday. Where? Not Zanzibar. <laughs> Jamaica, actually. It's always been on my uh, on bucket, my list. bucket list. Okay. Favorite pizza topping? Ham and mushroom. Um, apple or orange? Apple. Flat or sparkling? Oh, sparkling. 100%. You get to listen to one song for the rest of your life. What is it? Uh, 
Um, 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 no, 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 Facebook. Um, question. Yeah, I don't know. I has to yes, someone Kanye wants to drink song. I don't know. Oh, Kanye was there. Um, okay. Oh, I like it. Okay. Um, favorite drink. Favorite drink. Sparkling water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Thank. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate your time. I want to see Romani grow. I'm wishing you guys all the best of luck. Um, thank you for all your insights. Um, it's been a great podcast. See you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Take care.